Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Goofy. Goofy is the nothing personal word of the day, Thursday, April 30th, 2020. Goofy's not just a race run at Disney World where you run a, is it the Goofy or the Dopey? The Goofy is a half marathon on Saturday and then a marathon on Sunday. The Dopey is you run a 5K on Thursday, a 10K on Friday, a half marathon on Saturday, and then a marathon on Sunday. That may be the Dopey. Either way, goofy is the word I want to go with. And why am I talking about goofy and dopey? I'm not talking about teammates that maybe I put together. And remember, I've told you that Javier Vasquez and a bunch of other seven dwarfs back when the Expos weren't so good. We used to have Javier Vasquez and four rainouts with all respect to Mike Thurman and Jeremy Powell. But goofy is my word of the day because of the National Basketball Association Word came out, and everyone is excited to go to Disney World. The new plan for the National Basketball Association is to go to Disney. Not because they're the MVP of the Super Bowl. Not because they need a parade. Not because they very much miss Space Mountain. But because they believe that going to Disney could be the best way for them to quarantine in a bubble and get this season going. All right, let's react to this a little bit because it's being met with widespread furrowed brows. I don't think you can even see my furrowed brows if you're watching this because they're mixed in with the shaggy beard and the long hair. But my brows are furrowed because, God, that was a voice crack. Excuse me. My brows are furrowed because every league is having some plans leaked and each plan makes less sense than the last. And the reason that none of these plans make sense is because they're all being done in a vacuum. But let's examine the Disney World plan and see whether or not there's room in Disney World for 30 teams. Okay, let's think about that. We can put some kids in Animal Kids. We can put some players in Animal Kingdom. I think there's also the Swan and the Dolphin, so that's another two teams. I think we could maybe find another hotel. There's a Marriott Residence Inn. I think we've got a few on the monorail, four other hotels on the monorail. Then we can go off property a little bit, and we can find 30 hotels. We have to put in the broadcasters, of course. Then we have to put in support staff. They can go with the teams. Then we have to have league executives and team executives. They could maybe go in with the teams. So I think that we could probably get everyone there. We got to get the workers back at the hotels and the hotels open. Then we have to convince Bob Iger, who met the board of governors and the owners of the NBA on a call, purportedly to talk about this plan, but I don't actually think it was that at all. I think it was far more about broadcasting than it was about a plan to go to Disney World. So you get everyone together. There's enough practice courts because they host leagues. So you maybe have two or three courts. You can have maybe four or five games at a time. But in the NBA, on a nightly basis, if it's a regular season, you could have up to 10 games being hosted at once. 
but with no fans, in theory, you could have it any time of day. I'm giving you not my stream of thought, my stream of consciousness. I'm actually telling you things that are going on within a league office. All of the problems that come up and then the solutions that are to be had for those problems. Can you play every game at 7 o'clock or at 10 o'clock, 7 p.m. or at 10 p.m.? Because West Coast games are 10 p.m. East Coast time. So if you play games at 10 p.m. East Coast time, that would work for the broadcasting back home in the 7 p.m. window on the West Coast. But the players who are normally playing in the 10 p.m. time slot are playing at 7 p.m. their local time. So are basketball players going to play 10 p.m. games? Or we could maybe have more afternoon games. But that's a problem for the broadcasting windows. Although with everyone at home, the solution may say, with everyone at home, you can have afternoon games because no one actually knows what time it is. But that actually takes away the point of an athlete getting into a rhythm, which athletes do. They get into the rhythm of what time of day they play. And we haven't even gotten into the discussion of how can you have 10 games going on at once? Will there be off days? And on the off days, will the players be quarantined in their hotel rooms? Then we've got the same issue as the Arizona MLB plan. Either you bring the families and everyone's in a quarantined room or suite, or you separate players from their families, and that's not really what players have said they would go for. But then you have the added wrinkle of Steve Kerr, the coach of the Golden State Warriors, who went public yesterday and said, listen, we are right now in full off-season mode. We have told our players this is the offseason. We do not see a path where the regular season continues for those teams not in the playoffs. And Golden State, as you know, is not close to the playoffs. They've got about 17 games to go. I think they're 15 and 50. Worst record. We had a wait to see that said no more regular season games would be played. This is consistent with that wait to see, which is probably a month old already. I can't remember what day we said that. So now we may not need 30 hotels. We may only need 16 teams to go to Disney World. So if we go right into the playoffs, we do a training camp, no regular season. Do we have any scrimmage games, any pickup games? Ah, what do you need to have games? Referees. In order to have referees, let's say there's three referees per game, 10 games a night, 30 referees. You have to have some off days. I think there's going to be 40 or 45 referees. That's the equivalent of almost an extra team total with a traveling party. So I guess maybe we now need 31 hotels. So the practical matter is that you would have to make a deal with Disney World who would be more than happy to make this deal because guess who owns Disney World? Disney as in ABC, as in ESPN, as in the main network which broadcasts the NBA. Of course, you'd have to have some room for TNT. You'd have to get the NBA network in there. You'd have to have local broadcasters, national broadcasters. But what kind of deal would be done with Disney? Well, if their hotels are closed to begin with, they furloughed tens of thousands of employees who work the parks, the parks would stay closed, who work around Disney World keeping it up. You see they're helping with flowers and they're turning the lights on from time to time to make sure it's okay. We know the NBA employs, Coke is telling me 70 referees, but they wouldn't need all 70 for the playoffs, but that is a good point. So you're talking about having just roughly, let's just say a thousand people. Is that too many? Is that too few? Could it really only be for, let's say, 20 teams, 50 people per team, plus the referees, plus the league office? So a 1,000 people have to come in. Then you've got all of the food service people, all of the cleaning people who have to clean both the courts, have to clean the clubhouses, have to clean the rooms. 
Then you have people who are making the food, both at the hotels, for the support staff, and then for the players. You're talking about a bubble, roughly, let's say, 3,000 to 4,000 people. So first, what would happen is they'd all have to be tested after they get to property, before they go onto the Disney World property, they all get tested. Then they go into quarantine and they cannot leave. Who's exactly enforcing that? That's the problem that I told you about the Arizona plan. It's not practical. You can't make players stay in hotels. NBA players do not stay in hotels. Disney World is second only to the Vegas plan. Like that would really work, having players quarantined in their rooms in Vegas. Give me a break. But why is it so important for the NBA to go through this Disney World possible plan when they're going through a litany of plans? Because it's what I've said and what I will keep repeating show after show here on Nothing Personal. The job of Adam Silver is to come up with 50 contingency plans, take them all the way through, have them written out every step that needs to be taken, and then you have the ability to choose one when the opportunity to choose comes. And that opportunity is not now. Even though you've got a governor in Florida who's more than willing to open up the entire state except for South Florida, although I can't imagine how Orlando would be included in any opening, giving the possibility of the throngs of people coming from all over the country into Orlando, but be that as it may. We need tests. We need an open space. We need an agreement between owners. We need an agreement with the union. Sounds like baseball, and it is a lot like baseball. Then we need the teams in the regular season who are not going to make the playoffs to give up all regular season revenue, so they're going to have to get a split of some extra revenue that they're going to lose that could be gained by actually broadcasting actual live playoff games. But then we have to refund teams for the amount of money they've lost by giving up regular season games. Do you know who didn't like to hear Steve Kerr talk? The owner of the Warriors. The Warriors make around $5 million per home game. With 17 games to go, let's say they had eight home games left, that is $40 million of local revenue gone. Eh, It's a big wait to see. My view, and you heard it here, the NBA will not be going to Disney World. I think if the NBA comes back, if at all, it'll be in their home cities, in the cities that can have games without fans. And you're going to have to worry a lot about the Lakers and the Clips because I'm not sure there'll be games at Staples Center anytime soon. So in between these commissioners who are making contingency plans and they're figuring out what it is they can do, why they want to do it, what they're going to do. There's another thing that commissioners are doing, and we gave Rob Manford credit when he took a 35% pay cut. We weren't sure if it's 35% of his annual pay. We weren't sure if he's getting any of the money deferred, if he's getting the money paid back, not announced. But Roger Goodell, Roger Goodell sent a memo yesterday. It was a very tough memo. And it was a memo talking about the furloughing of employees in the NFL because he stated that if there's an employee who is at home and that employee cannot do his or her job from home, then we have no choice but to furlough that employee. But furlough does not mean, it does not mean termination. Because when you're terminated, you then have to pay for your own insurance. If you get go get COBRA, you have to pay for that. And it means you lose all your benefits. Furlough is you just lose your salary. So these furloughed employees are actually continuing their benefits, but their income has disappeared. So once the $1,200 of stimulus checks disappears, then what do you do? So the reality is this. Roger Goodell sent a memo to all the teams, 32 teams, saying furlough's in effect, but just so you know, we're doing our part. 
he went through all different levels in the NFL office from managers to directors to vice presidents to senior vice presidents, executive vice presidents, all of whom were taking a pay cut in a sliding scale, anywhere from 25% to 5%. And then Roger Goodell said, my salary has been cut to zero. Roger Goodell makes anywhere between, call it 10 and $25 million, depending on the year, depending on the bonus. Let's just pick a number for all intents and purposes, saying $20 million. Let's say that he has a chance to get huge bonuses, which he always does because commissioners make bonuses. But where does that money come from? It comes from a capital call from the member clubs of the organization. So Rob Manford has a salary that's paid for by 30 teams. If he gets a bonus, that is an additional sum of money that comes from the 30 teams equally. And it's decided by a compensation committee. This was always a source of agita to me because I was never on the compensation committee. Jeffrey Laurie, the owner, was never on the compensation committee. The compensation committee was often made up of friends of a commissioner. They would meet under the dark of night They would then announce what a salary would be, and you'd really have no choice unless you could get a block of eight out of your 30 owners to block it. And I'm not begrudging Commissioner Selig the the money he made, or Commissioner Manford, or Commissioner Goodell. They are running multi-billion dollar businesses, and CEOs make tens of millions of dollars for running multi-billion dollar businesses. That makes perfect sense to me. What I don't love is when you try to act as though you are one of the group. What Roger Goodell is trying to do is say, listen, I want to feel your pain. And the pain I want to feel is I'm going to do my job and I'm not going to take a salary. I'm not going to mention whether I'm going to get paid later, whether I'm just lending the money back to the NFL and they're going to give it back to me with interest. I'm not saying whether I'm going to get an extra year added to my contract. I'm merely saying that I feel your pain. As a president of a company, I always had a hard time with that and here's why. Because... I couldn't feel the pain of the lower level employees who were going paycheck to paycheck. There's no way I could pretend to. I could have empathy. I could have sympathy. I could do everything I could to have the company make as much money as possible and give that money back in a certain percentage in the, in the form of bonuses or keeping people employed or hiring extra people when the business is going good. But the reality is when the business is not going well, you've got to let go of those people. You've got to scale down. And that's going to happen in every business. Once the light switch goes on and businesses start, there's going to be a reevaluation of where we are economically. What our P&L, profit and loss statement, looks like going forward. And the only people who get hurt, you're right, there's pay cuts that happen above. But is it a big pay cut? What's the difference in your mind? When you're making $20 million, you take a 50% pay cut, you go to $10 million versus you're making $50,000 and you either get terminated or you go from $50,000 a year to $25,000 a year. It's not even a close comparable. And I was very sensitive to that. On the other hand, that is the way capitalism works, whether you like it or not. People on top make the most because in theory, they are doing something and they have a skill that is harder to replicate. They have all its service, all of the problems that come with being a decision maker, with being a leader. But when you're a leader, the one thing that you're counted on by your followers, and we've talked about it a little bit on Nothing Personal, and I want to reiterate it, don't pretend you're a follower. Don't pretend you're a lower-level employee. One of those TV shows that always made me crazy was uh, Coca, It's Not Who's the Boss with Tony D. Undercover Boss. 
undercover boss when the bosses would go undercover and see what it would look like to actually flip burgers in McDonald's when you're the CEO of McDonald's. Or the equivalent of that when you're the president of a baseball team is to be the undercover boss and wash jocks in the clubhouse at single A in the minor leagues, making tips plus a few dollars per hour. What exactly is that proving given that there's cameras around and they're watching you do it, that all of a sudden you know what it's like or that you worked your way up from flipping burgers to the CEO so now you know what it's like and you can make decisions because you've been there. The argument of I've been there before, I've been in your shoes, I've walked in your shoes, that argument falls flat, especially during a pandemic. You've never walked in someone's shoes when you have no safety net and you have one. You've never walked in their shoes when you have the ability to still make millions of dollars and there's people who simply don't know where their next meal is from or where their next rent check is from. They don't know whether they're going to get hired again. You're the commissioner. You know that you're taking a pay cut to zero, but you're getting your money again when there's no guarantee that the employees you're fur- furloughing are. I just want honesty. I'm glad that Roger's doing that. I think it makes sense. But in a memo that you send to the clubs, when you announce it, we've talked about the greatest form of charity or sadaka. The greatest form is one of the second greatest is when you do it anonymously. The first greatest we talked about, I made that mistake. The first greatest is when you teach people how to fend for themselves and you give to help somebody get for themselves. I think it's critical as commissioners of teams of leagues right now, critical for them to go to their fans, to go to their teams, to go to their employees and just say it how it is. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. But at the end of the day, that's what gives you much greater respect. Roger Goodell taking no pay. How about Brett Favre? He's become sort of a bitter Betty, hasn't he? Brett Favre is a guy, is a guy who went to the University of Wisconsin, which I did, born in Milwaukee. I love the Packers. They're my second favorite team to the Giants. I just, I love it. Uh, I went to Lambeau Field and it's like going, it's like the cornfields in Iowa. It's like heaven going to a game in Lambeau Field. But Brett Favre had a terrible, messy break from the Packers that started when the Packers drafted Aaron Rodgers. And Brett Favre became a little grumpy about that. And then he moved on, as you recall, to play the Jets and the Vi- to play for the Jets and the Vikings. And now we remember Brett Favre as the Super Bowl winning quarterback for the Packers. But we also remember Brett Favre for how his career ended and how he was just sort of Not good. As a matter of fact, one of the great stats of Brett Favre is I believe that his last pass thrown for every team he played for was an interception. Coke is going to check that because we didn't talk about this before because that's how nothing personal goes. Things pop into my head like little synapses. By the way, on a side note, if I sound off today, something happened. I went running this morning and I'm not going outside a lot, but I did go outside to go running. And there are people who are some people in masks, some people without masks, and there's some people cleaning uh, the streets, they're cleaning their landscaping. And you know those machines that are like weed whackers? So I was running, and there was a guy using a weed whacker behind a fence. I could hear it, but I couldn't see it. But you know the sound of a weed whacker. And all of a sudden, I got donked in the head with a stone, with what felt like a stone. I went into complete panic because I've been watching Grey's Anatomy, so I assumed I had some sort of subdural hematoma, hematoma, hepatema, I subdural heroraca, chianuga, a hematoma sriracha. 
In any case, I was pretty sure I was done. There was a guy walking by and I said, hey, by the way, I just got hit in the head by a stone. And the person just looked at me and he thought that that was strange. So when I got back home, I was, I iced it and I thought about Natalia, is her name Natalia Richardson, rest in peace, where she fell on a beginner ski slope and thought she was fine and then all of a sudden was dead, even though she had a helmet on. So I totally panicked. And so I've had a bit of a headache. I'm not slurring. I know I'm fine. I've been practicing. Put your hand in the air, smile and say, hi, my name is Dave. Oh, here's the stroke test, by the way. You put your hand in the air. You say, hi, my name is David Sampson. You smile and stick your tongue out. If you can do that, you've not had a stroke. I don't think it has anything to do with any sort of bleeding in the brain. I think I'm fine. But if all of a sudden I cut out Coca, you know what to do. So Brett Favre, Coca confirms, did throw an interception in the final game for every team in 07, 08, and 10. I can't believe I came up with that. I have no idea where I got that or why. But Brett Favre, bitter, bitter. Aaron Rodgers gets drafted. Aaron Rodgers takes over. Aaron Rodgers wins the Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers gets old. Aaron Rodgers signs an extension. Packers draft Jordan Love. Interesting. It's like history repeating itself. It's the same exact thing that's being done to Aaron Rodgers that was done to Brett Favre. We know this. We've talked about it. What could Brett Favre have to add to this conversation? Simple. He gave an interview and he said that the Packers have burned a bridge with Aaron Rodgers that will be hard to recover from. He went on a rant about how the relationship with Rodgers will never be the same, how Rodgers will now finish his career in another uniform. It's almost like Favre was talking about himself and trans, what, what's the word, Coca? Transposing his feelings, when transferring his feelings from him onto Aaron Rodgers. But in a vacuum of information, we tend to listen to those who are willing to supply any sort of soundbite. Where's Aaron Rodgers been? Where have the Packers been? The Packers have mucked this up from start to finish. You don't draft Jordan Love without telling Aaron Rodgers first. You don't have Aaron Rodgers say that you're gonna that he needs a skilled player and then don't give him a skilled player unless you've told him you're not going to give him a skilled player. If you have a plan for your team that involves shoring up your defense and improving your run because you think that's how to beat the San Francisco 49ers where you were a game away from the Super Bowl and you then in a copycat way, and I get it, that's how we built our teams, copycat, when a team beats you, you build a team that can beat them. Running in defense, got the Niners over the Packers. So what are you going to do? Shore up your running game. Shore up your defense. That's what the Packers were doing. Why not communicate to Rodgers? Forget Favre. Communicate to Rodgers. The opportunity missed here is once Favre went on his rant, this was Aaron Rodgers' moment to become the number one. Actually, I can't say that. Vince Lombardi is going to be number one. Bart Starr is going to be number two. Let's say Brett Favre is three, and let's say Aaron Rodgers is four in the annals of Packer history. There could be some Reggie White people. There could be a lot of, there could be some, ex, some others, but let's just say that Rodgers had a chance to climb up the Rushmore of the Packers. He had his moment. You take the microphone and you say, I have heard what Brett Favre had to say. I guarantee you that I will not treat Jordan Love the way Brett Favre treated me. While I may not have agreed or been surprised by the drafting of a quarterback, I am confident in my teammates who I have. We were one game away from the Super Bowl, and I know that together we can get to the Super Bowl. Can you imagine the leadership that that would show? Imagine as a fan of the Green Bay Packers hearing your beloved quarterback say that. 
instead of silence? Imagine as a fan of the Packers looking at an old grain, Brett Favre, impugning the front office of the Packers and the history of Aaron Rodgers in such a self-serving way. It bothered me greatly. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Ooh, great. So you want to talk to Samson. This was a funny one. So you want to talk to Samson. Do you agree with Rod Thorne that Michael Jordan had nothing to do with the composition of the Dream Team? Love it. Thank you. So you want to talk to Samson, get into my Twitter at David P. Samson. Ask me a question in DMs and I'll try to answer as many as I can. Respond to as many as I can. Do some of them on the air. You know I've got the end of month bail. Hi, my name's David Sampson. I just stuck out my tongue. I'm good. On Saturday, we're dropping the end-of-month mailbag bonus pod. I'm answering your questions. Those came in through Apple, five-star reviews. Rate, review, ask a question. But so you want to talk to Samson slightly different? Rod Thorne came out and went against Isaiah Thomas, who after the Last Dance episode this past weekend said, you know, I wasn't on the dream team because of Michael Jordan, and I think that's true. Rod Thorne, who was the executive in charge of putting together the dream team, wink, wink. Let me see if you can feel my wink on this really amazing CBS microphone. No, I don't know if you can. I'm winking. Rod Thorne actually came out and said that Michael Jordan had nothing to do with the composition of the Dream Team. For those of you who are alive in 1992, for those of you who are fans of basketball in 1992, if you believe for one second that Rod Thorne is telling you the truth, I have got a bridge to sell you. Rod Thorne, when he put together that team, used Michael Jordan in every way. You can hear, and I've heard, and this is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you it's second hand, except it's really one and a half hand. What does it count when it's one degree of separation, where you've spoken to someone who has no agenda, who spoke to someone who knows exactly what happened? In the court of law, that's hearsay. But I'm not saying this to represent the truth of what was said. I'm saying this to buttress my 
hypothesis that Michael Jordan was in full control of who was going to be on the dream team. And his beef with Isaiah Thomas was significant. Thanks for asking the question, but I definitely do not agree with Rod Thorne. We are up to day 46 now. Day 46 of the ML Beer Challenge. I hope you know what it is by now. Coke and I are growing our beards till MLB has opening day. And we're going to keep going. And we've got, we're actually taking pictures of ourselves each day. It'll be one hell of a time lapse when this is all done. We're 46 days in. We will have 100 straight days of donating $1,000 to an organization around the country. We spend 30 days giving $1,000 to every MLB team. Now we're going through every NBA team. If you want to donate and you can, please do to your team foundations or to any foundation, please, part of the ML Beard Challenge. You don't have to grow a beard, but maybe you want to because in quarantine, I love not shaving. I feel like I'm making serious money because I'm not using razors. I'm not using shaving cream. I'm not using cologne. I'm not using deodorant. I am using soap, but I'm definitely using less soap than I used to because really, why? Can you smell me through the air or through the camera? I actually don't smell. I am using quite a bit of soap just because I've been running and getting hit in the head with stones. Hi, my name is David Sampson. It's all right. I do it 20 times a day. The team is Milwaukee, first place in the Eastern Conference. You know we've gone in reverse order of the Eastern Conference. I bet you can guess who tomorrow is. There's a group in Milwaukee called the Jewish Community Foundation, and they've created a fund for Jewish Milwaukee, and what they are doing solely is taking care of those impacted by COVID-19. If you think middle America is not being impacted or the Midwest, you are wrong. If you are living in a place where you say, hey, it's going on in Florida, it's going on in California, no, it's going on everywhere. The economy being shut down is impacting everyone, whether they're sick or not. $1,000 is going to the Jewish Community Foundation. A shout out to Mitch Moser, one of my oldest friends from camp. I met him when I was nine years old, ran around the world with him, have done numerous trips, numerous things. He just took over this community foundation, actually started April 1st. His, he's never been into his new office. It's all been on Zoom and all been virtual but $1,000 coming your way, and I know you will put it to good use. ML Beer Challenge, day 46. Yes, of course, I'm still watching movies. Someone DM'd me. It was not a So You Want to Talk to Samson, and I do appreciate this. Someone, people DM me all the time, actually, with suggestions of movies to watch or shows to watch. Someone asked me to watch a movie called Breaker Morant, thinking that that would be a movie that I would love. Breaker Morant is a movie from 1980 directed by Bruce Beresford. Bruce Beresford is the guy who actually uh, directed Driving Miss Daisy, which you may or may not remember as an Academy Award winning movie, which I don't think would play too well right now. But Breaker Morant is a fascinating movie that I want to talk about. It's a movie about a war in 1900. They called it the Boer War, not O-A-R-O-E-R. And the Boer War, and it was with Australians, it was with the British against the Boers. And this is a movie about a trial of three Australian men who were charged with a wartime crime of actually murdering Boer people in a war. What we find out is that there's a trial. They assign a defense counsel who's never really put on a defense, a terrible defense counsel. They have a judge and jury of three men who are answering to the British authorities who are going to convict these men and send them to death. 
no matter what. It's a fait accompli. And the moral hypothetical that is posed throughout this movie, and it stars Brian Brown, who you may know from the Thornbirds or FX, as having been married to Rachel Ward, one of my all-time favorites. I've never wanted to be a priest or a cardinal in my life because I'm Jewish, but God, did I want to be Father Ralph to Bricassar. And if you don't know who that is, Coca, you're going to Google it. I wanted to be Father Ralph to Bricassar. In any case, Brian Brown is one of the defendants. And the hypothetical that's posed during the course of this movie is whether or not it is worth it to wrongly convict three men if that's what it would take to end a war where you are at risk of losing tens of thousands of men during the course of the war. There's a philosopher we've talked about named John Stuart Mill, who's in favor of the greater good theory, which states that if you have to kill one person to save two people, that's for the greater good. You make all decisions based on the greater good. And I actually believe and understand that philosophy and have studied it. But in this movie, which was sort of a precursor to a few good men, in a lot of ways. It had a few, few good men moments. The movie's not nearly as good as A Few Good Men, but it's way more important. But at the end of A Few Good Men, spoiler alert, they ask when he is dishonorably discharged after Colonel Nathan Jessup agrees that he ordered the code red, why were they dishonorably discharged? And the answer given by Lieutenant Downey, I think, I can't remember the name of the character, was we were supposed to protect people who couldn't protect themselves. And you got to thinking about during a war and during basic training, and that wasn't a war, they were sort of guarding the line. Is that something that does take precedent? Is it okay to punish people who should not have listened to their commanding officer but did? In reality, in Breaker Morant, the commanding officer was put on trial as well. They were told to revenge and there was an attack where they lost people and they went out and killed the members of the other side, the Boer people who had made this attack. But there was a deal done above their pay grade, which said, convict these people of a wartime crime. Then we will settle this war. What do you do? What do you do? My answer was pretty simple. And it was a hard thing to watch and it was a hard thing to come to this realization. But I'm cutting that deal. I'm sacrificing the lives and it ends up that two people end up being killed, convicted. The other one was let out of jail a few years later. It's a true story. It's gotten a lot of attention, a lot of writing about it. It's a fascinating movie. It looks 40 years old. And I get it if you think you don't want to watch a 40-year-old movie. I get it. But it's worth it because it can get you thinking. And in this era of quarantine, we're where mental and physical atrophy can creep up on you like a roach in a pizza store. I guess I have some uh, trauma about that. But if you are beginning to atrophy, it is critical to watch movies or read books that get you thinking. Breaker Morant will definitely get you thinking. Okay, we had big news yesterday. I want to tell you about what it is to be in the uh, life of quarantine and what happens. So I, I record nothing personal during the afternoon and then it gets posted onto YouTube. You get it and it's available for download soon after we're done recording. We generally are doing it between 12.30 and 1.15, sometimes 1 to 1.45. It depends, but in that range. 
So what I do is I have on gym shorts right now. And actually I can, I just have whatever. I have gym shorts on. I have a, a shirt, a button down shirt and a blazer. And I have no shoes and my feet are bare feet with on a towel because I sweat when I'm doing this, but I try not to show it. I got this special light that makes me sweat, but at least you can see me. Or if you hear me, you can't hear the droplings. But in any case, after the show is done, I take the blazer off. I keep coca in my ear. It's attached to me. It's called an IFB. We've talked about it. I take the jacket off, take the shirt off, put on a T-shirt, start working on tomorrow's show and doing anything else I have to do, knowing that if there's breaking news with CBS Sports HQ and it's baseball related or anything else related, or if there's something happens in the world of sports that we need to do a bonus pod, that I'm going to have to get back on the air and that's fine. I'm used to it. I'm good with it. So yesterday... I was having a virtual drink, uh, and when I have a virtual drink, I was actually doing it with Will Manso. Uh, he actually is the same guy who called during a show the other day. He is a uh, one of the Heat uh, broadcasters. Uh, he doesn't do the game broadcast. He does the pre- and post-game show. He's also the local sports anchor here in Miami, Fort Lauderdale. So I wasn't having a drink because it was a work day, but I'm subject to the possibility of a call. So we're having a drink. We're talking. I'm having a ginger ale in a glass with ice. Have you ever done that where you don't drink, but you want to look like you have a drink when you're supposed to be having drinks because you don't want people to say, what are you drinking? Why aren't you drinking? And then you can say you're actually having a drink as opposed to just drinking a water bottle. I know that stinks. That's like peer pressure and it shouldn't be that way. But in reality it is. So just take a glass, put ginger ale in it. And if you're just not comfortable, just say, yeah, of course there's alcohol in it. So all of a sudden a call comes in. I get a text from Randy. Randy is the CBS Sports HQ guru of everything. When there's breaking news and you go to CBS Sports HQ and you see my smiling bearded face, that's because Randy texted and said, are you ready to go? So he said the MLB. He didn't say the MLB. No one says the MLB. Who says the MLB? He said, quote, MLB Hall of Fame canceled. Are you ready to go? Breaking news hang up with Will, take off the t-shirt, put back on the uh, button-down shirt, get the blazer back on, turn the sound on, turn the light on. Five minutes later, boom, I'm on the air with Jim Bowden talking about the fact that the Hall of Fame, the Derek Jeter class with Larry Walker and Ted Simmons and Marvin Miller, the Derek Jeter class in July in Cooperstown, what everyone was looking forward to, canceled, not postponed, not halted, canceled. That really got me yesterday because it occurred to me that uh, the ripple effect of that cancellation needed to be discussed. And I told the people at HQ that I didn't want to just talk about Derek Jeter because they had already announced that Derek Jeter was going to go in in 2021, but still be known as the class of 2020. They said they were rescheduling it for July of 2021. And so I wanted to talk about Cooperstown. Coco wants me to say that it's the Baseball Hall of Fame. Did I say the MLB Hall of Fame? Because, hey, it's not the MLB and it's Major League Baseball, but it's Baseball Hall of Fame. I think it may be more than that. Maybe the National Baseball Hall of Fame. In any case, it is clearly the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. But when the weekend is canceled, who's impacted the most? Is it Derek Jeter? Not at all impacted the most of the people of Cooperstown. 
I was lucky enough in 2010 to get to go to Cooperstown to watch Andre Dawson get inducted into the Hall of Fame. It was a weekend. We went up 15 or 18 of us. We rented a house. The cost of that, when at that time, I don't think VRBO was in existence, but the cost of that rental basically paid the mortgage for that family who owned that home for about nine of the 12 months of the mortgage. There's 50 to 100 to 200 houses just like it. Hotels are at full occupancy, three times the normal rate, maybe more. The stores are packed. The restaurants are packed. This is an opportunity for people in this small town to make their living. And their living is made mostly that weekend. The other way it's made is during the wintertime, is during the summertime, excuse me, when there are little league games and tournaments that take place, all of which have been canceled. The economic problems in Cooperstown are real. Nobody's going to the museum. The museum doesn't make money to start with. MLB has always, always supported the Cooperstown Hall of Fame. MLB has given money. They raise money. They have fundraisers. They have a board of directors. The board of directors are the people who voted to cancel the ceremony. Guess who are the majority of the board of directors? Guess who the majority is? Yeah, MLB owners. If you're going to give money to something, you better have a say over what's happening. I feel so badly for the people in Cooperstown. I don't feel one ounce of badly, ounce of badly. I don't feel badly even an ounce for Derek Jeter or Larry Walker or Ted Simmons or the family of the late Marvin Miller. They will get their time. But the economic impact will stores, restaurants, will they make it to next year? That's what I went on and talked about. What about the impact on the Hall of Fame? Yeah, there's an impact. Is it possible that Derek Jeter will now be going in with Kurt Schilling? How ironic would it be that Kurt Schilling would go into the Hall of Fame with Derek Jeter? Remember them in the 2001 World Series? Remember the whole bloody sock? Well, Kurt Schilling has 70%. What about Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens? They each got, Clemens got 61% of the vote. Bonds got 60% of the vote. Do you think writers for one minute will put Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens into the Hall of Fame with Derek Jeter? The Derek Jeter? I don't think Schilling or Clemens or Bonds get in. I think they want Jeter to be alone. But then that means that Bonds, Clemens, Schilling, they would then go into their 10th and final year. So they'd all have to get in in 2022. What would a compromise be? Maybe you let Schilling go because he was already at 70%. Does it actually take away from Jeter to have Schilling with him? Well, it didn't take away from Jeter to have Larry Walker with him. But I know that writers will not want to combine. Combining Walker with Jeter, that's fine. Walker is above reproach. Great player, Hall of Famer. But Bonds and Clemens? It's not going to happen. The people most impacted by this cancellation, Bonds and Clemens in my mind. Okay. By the way, thank you, Coca. The Bloody Sock game was 2004, but I was not actually saying the Bloody Sock was part of the 2001 World Series. I was saying that the Bloody Sock was part of Schilling's sort of history in baseball, part of what made him so great. I'd like you to go back and look at that Bloody Sock because I've seen a lot of Bloody Socks and a lot of injuries before, and I've seen players who get hurt. I've never seen blood. I've really never seen it happen so, um, what's the word, Coco, went symmetrically. Take a look at that picture, Coco. See if you can find Schilling's bloody sock. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not a Mel Gibson fan. I love Oliver Stone. I'm just saying that was quite a bloody sock. Wait to see. All right, we got a big wait to see here. 
Something came out yesterday. One of the things with Twitter, Coca taught me early on, if you don't see a blue check, do not pay attention to what the person is tweeting because you could be getting hacked or misled. And I've had a retweet or two from a non-blue check uh, account that made me think it was from someone real that I thought was actually something happening. And it turns out it was just something that was totally made up. Sometimes even blue check people. Is that what we call ourselves or themselves? Is it a blue check person? If you're a blue check check, if a blue check could check, a blue check would check, everyone wants to be a blue check. So what you do is it means verified. I know the Coke is whispering. It means verified. Who cares? The fact is that someone tweeted yesterday that the minor league baseball season has been canceled. And I retweeted it. I think I retweeted. I can't remember. Or at least I made a comment. Or maybe I didn't do anything because I saw it wasn't blue checked, verified. And then I went and I saw that there was no announcement by Major League Baseball or Minor League Baseball that the season had been canceled and that instead Major League teams would bring their best prospects to their spring training sites and they would have a development league for their, for those players. Well, I got to wait and see for y'all. And the wait and see is there has been no announcement on minor league baseball, the season being canceled. But my wait to see is that that leak from that unverified non-blue check source is correct. There will be no minor league baseball season at all. And major league teams will bring their best prospects to spring training facilities when it is safe to do so and take a look at them, have a development league, if you will, in order for them to salvage whatever possible way that you can develop your minor league players. It is so critical when you're running a major league team. We cannot afford no team, whether you're the Yankees or the Marlins or anyone in between. You cannot afford a year of lack of development. You cannot afford a year without teaching these kids because if you Basically, if everyone stops in their development for a full year, you will have players who are getting service time, a full year of service time, graduating into arbitration, graduating into free agency, becoming way too expensive, and it'll blow your budget when payrolls are going to be coming down, that having minor league players playing at the minimum for your major league team is going to become even more important in the coming years. And losing a year of development is critical. What we don't need is to develop the players who have no chance, and that's what fills out most of the minor league teams. And knowing the fact that there's not going to be minor league baseball, this is the best opportunity and the best option that they have. So my wait to see is the following. Minor league baseball canceled. It's a double. There will be a development league that will be played in Florida and Arizona. That's the wait to see. I want to finish with a correction I did get a correction on something. I was talking about metaphors and similes the other day, and I thought a metaphor had like and a simile used as, and I had it backwards. No, it's not even backwards. I just had it wrong. A simile uses like or as in a sentence. The moon is as bright as the glowing sky at dawn. That's a simile. A metaphor is when you are trying to describe something using words to describe it, that that becomes a metaphor. So I thank you for that correction. That is good grammar, metaphor versus simile. And when this person called to tell me that I had made a mistake between metaphor and simile and knew that I would make the correction, I said the following simple words. I said, you know, mom, it's just business. It's nothing personal.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.